Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. The official start of fall is only days away now, and that means cuffing season is not far behind. It's the time of year when singles actively start to search for a short-term partner to hibernate with through the winter and then drop the relationship just prior to Valentine's Day. With the fourth wave of COVID threatening continued restrictions in our lives, cuffing season might be particularly robust this year. But just in case you don't find someone to snuggle up with, just know that I'll be here for you with great interviews for you to curl up with each weekend. And this week's show is here to offer the mental stimulation you need. Starting with Erin Kelly from Advanced Symbolics, Inc., who joins me to share what Poly AI has been hearing from women across the country during this election cycle and what the reason is behind the neck and neck race between the conservatives and the liberals. One thing's for sure, we're definitely heading towards another minority government. This week on RBC She's the Boss, we're spotlighting Supply, a reusable takeout container service in Toronto that's on a mission to provide takeout without the waste. Supply partners with local restaurants so customers can experience guilt-free takeout. Co-owners Megan Decatur Tully and Juliana Greco join me to share details about this company that is forging a brave new path in the green economy and why it matters. Anne Brody is suffering from tiff fatigue and joins me today with new movies and shows we won't want to miss, including Benedict Cumberbatch, who goes against the grain as Phil, a psychotic rancher in the Wild West circa 1925 in The Power of the Dog, and the return of the series I've been impatiently waiting on since last fall, The Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon on Apple Plus TV, plus all whole lot more to keep you entertained as the days get shorter. Money is the longest relationship we will ever have in our lives. From birth to death, and like all good relationships, the ones that flourish are nurtured. Zena Emmetson, founder of Astra Financial Services and author and podcast host of The Heart of Your Money, joins me to share what she believes are the three key aspects to ensuring a positive relationship with money in your life. Maria Zareff was born and raised in Aleppo, Syria, and is the creator, writer, designer, and co-director of Dunia, an animated story of a little girl and her grandparents who have to leave in search of a new home when war breaks out in their country. Airing now on CBC Gem, Maria joins me to share the story behind this award-winning series. Finally, female health is a gray area in medicine that can often lead to poor outcomes. But if you understood your hormones from a genetic lens, things can become very black and white. CEO of the DNA company Kashif Khan and company spokesperson Monica Schneer join me to share what your DNA can reveal about your health and how you can address concerns before they become problems. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. election cycle that nobody wanted, it looks like we're going to end up exactly where we started a little over a month ago with a minority government. Advanced Symbolics Inc. is a company that uses artificial intelligence to augment market research and prediction. Their patented AI named Polly is designed to understand how people's online behavior and connections predict their real-world actions. Aaron Kelly, president and CEO of ASI, is joining me today to share what Polly has been hearing from women in particular during this election cycle and who she's predicting will be the next Prime Minister of Canada. Welcome back to what she said, Aaron. Thanks, Candice. I feel like Polly might even be a little bit confused with this cycle. I mean, one day the Conservatives look like they might win, then it's the Liberals. It's, it's all over the place. What are you seeing? 
It's definitely, this is a lot closer even than the last minority government that Mr. Trudeau won. So I think what he's going to see coming out of this, he's going to be weaker than he was before. And he's given a lot of profile now to Aaron O'Toole, who had been unknown prior to this election. So the next election, he will be, assuming he stays, he will be a much better known leader. But so even though we see the liberals ahead today, that keeps going back and forth. They're only ahead by about five seats. So this could be very, very close. And we could see, who knows, we're seeing about a 10% chance that um, a coalition government might be coming out of this, which is something Canada hasn't seen in uh, many decades. I'm curious what you're what you're seeing with the PPC party. Have they been gaining in popularity or is it just that, that I'm seeing it more in the media? No, they're definitely gaining in popularity. They're gaining on the popular vote. They're not yet efficient enough to get seats from what Polly can see, but they can definitely pull from conservatives in those tight races. And we're seeing a lot of those in particularly in Ontario. Um, and then in Quebec, there's the race has gotten a lot tighter with the Bloc Québécois. They were not as strong coming into this, but after the English debate where a lot of Quebecers felt insulted by the questions that were asked of Yves Blanchet, we are now seeing that party pull seats from the Conservatives as well in Quebec. Now, do you, now is Polly seeing a big women a big difference in what women the issues women are looking at as opposed to men? Is there a difference between urban and suburban? What what's Polly seeing there? Absolutely. So in this election, people who are voting liberal are voting mainly on two, two and a half, I would say, issues. Number one is daycare. That for sure is the number one platform for liberals. And we're seeing a lot of women very, very engaged on that. And some of them voting just for that issue. Uh, Also, women much more engaged on the climate crisis and those people also more likely to vote liberal. And then to a lesser extent, but actually big in the last this week, Um, We've seen huge engagement on the protesters and in hospitals, um, and that has really, really incensed people and caused some of them to change their vote. And here's here's what's interesting about that particular issue. People who are pro the protesters (laughs) are much more likely to vote for the People's Party. Those are the minority, but they are more they're not going to vote for Aaron O'Toole. The people who are against the protesters who are very concerned about the health and well-being of patients and and staff at the hospitals are more likely to vote liberal or NDP because they see the conservatives not taking a strong enough stand on this issue. So that's one of the problems for Aaron O'Toole because he's trying to be in the middle and please everyone. He is in some cases not pleasing anyone. So we are definitely seeing um, on some of those issues that are more attractive to women, they are actually the biggest issues in, in the campaign. Let's go to the science behind Polly a little bit and explain how she works. So it's not a typical, uh, you know, like uh, you get a phone call asking you who you're going to vote for. How does Polly pull this information so accurately? Yeah, so the big secret to Polly's accuracy is that she's pulling the information off social media where we're seeing it's big data, right? So whereas in a phone call or a survey, you get maybe 1,500 people participating, we've got over 300,000 in our survey. And like a poll, like a phone poll, we make sure that we properly balance the sample. So we're getting equal numbers of men and women, we're getting people in the different income and education levels at the same level that you'd see them in the Canadian population. So we're not overrepresented in young people as you have in social media. So we're balancing out that sample, but we have millions and millions of, of posts per day that we're analyzing. And so that's where the accuracy comes in. And do you look at, you know, for example, Aaron O'Toole announced that he would supplement parents' income by $1,000 a month so that they could earn income well on mat leave. I have no idea how any mother on mat leave could earn that extra income, <laughs> but it is an interesting uh, thing to offer. Uh, so does Polly look at that issue like that and then see what the response will be? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, so we have two ways of looking at these issues. One is through what we call topic discovery. And that's where uh, Polly will go out and see are people talking about this just naturally. And then another method we have is a topic model where we go out and we specifically see 
for that issue, how many people are talking about it. I can tell you that Mr. O'Toole's platforms on daycare are not resonating. Um, if people find it too complicated, like you said, how, how do I have time to go out and get a job while I'm taking care of a baby? <laughs> That's the whole point of Matt leave is I don't have to do that, right? Um, so, uh, so that's definitely adding to it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, obviously this is clearly nobody consulted a woman on this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, I, I know it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been there and, you know, I didn't even have time to sleep, never mind get a job. Um <laughs> So, so um, but even even the tax breaks for daycare didn't go as go over as well as say ten dollar day daycare because tax breaks assume that you're making enough money to have the tax break in the first place. So um, so yeah, th those policies were actually seeing negative for Aaron O'Toole on the issues of daycare and a huge upswing for the Liberals because they have the platform that appeals to families. All right. So what's quickly then, what's the positive for the conservatives in this election? The positive is uh, people like Aaron O'Toole as a person. Um, I think he's managed to um, put away some of the fears about a, a hidden agenda. Uh, people believe that he's pro-choice. Uh, at first, they didn't. There was fear there, especially with what was going on in Texas. I think he's allayed that fear. Uh, he came across strong in Afghanistan because that was a huge issue in the beginning, and he comes from a military background, so that really played well for him. Unfortunately, as we get closer to the election, that is less top of mind for people compared to, say, the vaccine <clears throat> protest issues, which are not working well for him. So it really is just timing for him. I think he definitely has he's shown himself to have good potential as a leader. I mean, he went from really low numbers to being in contention and might still win a minority government. So that's what's been good for him in this one. Okay. And then for the liberals, what's been their most positive? <laughs> well, actually just the foil to, to, to Maxime Bernier and uh, they, they, they're playing that well. Like the po most positive is daycare and the social programs and climate change. So those are the more the most positive because people who are concerned about those issues believe that the liberals are the best to deliver that plan because um, the conservatives have been wishy-washy, even though Mr. O'Toole puts on a good face that he's pro-climate and all these things, their platform is less ambitious than the liberal platform. And for people who are concerned that we only have very little time left to correct this issue, they don't feel we can afford four years of, of indecision on that. And I'd like to just quickly hear about what uh, you're hearing, what Polly is hearing about uh, the NDP and Jagmeet Singh. Um, it feels like he's lost some support uh, in the last week or so. So um, what is what is Polly hearing in that regard? Polly is hearing that as an individual, Jagmeet Singh is actually the most trusted of the leaders. But he is going down. He has been going down. And mostly I think that's because it is such a tight race. And when it's a tight race, the NDP suffers because people think, oh, I've got to vote strategically, I've got to take my vote from the NDP and give it to the Liberals. Um, but he did do, his Pharmacare is the most popular of his platforms. Uh, we also saw that he could have done more with uh, race issues and because there is a lot of concern, nascent a little bit, but could have easily been made it a platform in the election of uh, systemic racism. Now it came up in the English debate, it was just too aggressive. Had Jagmeet Singh brought it out in a, listen, we need to bring everybody to the, to the table here in Canada, uh, he would have had a lot of credibility there. Same thing with, um, with Anna Mae Paul. She, she made a good impact in the English election, uh, in the English debate. Unfortunately, it's not going to be enough to, to get them a, a lot of traction in this election. Okay, well, we're pre-recording this interview uh, on the 15th of September, so just a few days before the election. But as it sits this morning, are there any predictions from Polly on who's going to uh, be the next prime minister? Yeah, so right now we see the Liberals are slightly ahead. We give them a 57% chance of winning a minority government, and the Conservatives have a 40% chance of winning a minority government. But, you know, yesterday that was more in favor of Liberals, so we're seeing the Conservatives come up a little bit again. It keeps going back and forth. So as of today, this 15th of September, we can't make a definitive prediction, it's really quite neck and neck. Yeah, it is. It's frustrating for sure uh, watching this. So, uh, but Polly, Polly has been pretty accurate on this, on these things for the last uh, several elections, including the U.S. So uh, it's good to talk to you today, Aaron. Thank you again for joining me. Great. Thanks, Candace.
with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Today's RBC profile is taking a look at a business in the green economy. As Canada moves towards the ban of single-use plastics by the end of 2021, green economy businesses are stepping up to fill the void with less environmentally damaging packaging. The takeout industry in particular is being transformed with difficult-to-recycle single-use plastics like straws, stir sticks, cutlery, and containers on the chopping block. My next guests have got you covered. Megan Decada Tully and Juliana Greco are the co-owners of Supply, a reusable takeout container service in Toronto that's on a mission to provide takeout without the waste. Welcome to the show, Megan and Juliana. Thanks so much for having us. I love the whole concept behind this company. But tell me, was there a moment where you said, oh, we have to do this? Something that triggered this this concept? Yeah, well, you know what? I think um, if you think about your last takeout meal and, you know, you're really excited because you're able to support a local restaurant, you're eating delicious food, and then, you know, you finish your meal and you basically feel like crap because you've got a pile of garbage sitting beside you in all the containers and they basically all go to the landfill. Um, I mean, that was a pain point for me for years, for Juliana, I know as well, and apparently for a lot of other people. Um, and so, uh, you know, I kind of had a concept in, in mind of how this might, a solution might work, uh, tested it out last October in one neighborhood in Toronto, and kind of long story short, we've made lots of changes since then, but, you know, now we're up to over 2,000 account holders, over 20 restaurants, and we're now just sort of putting the pieces in place to scale. So, you know, it's been great to be able to provide a solution that, you know, resonates so deeply with lots of people. And as the climate crisis deepens, you're right. A lot of what we do will come with associated guilt, like eating out, which over 50% of us do more than a couple of times a week in Canada. That adds up. So you are making a big impact. So what, how does this work then? How do people actually start with supply? Yeah, it actually, we've designed to be pretty easy. So all you have to do is check out who our partner restaurants are, order from them, um, and let them know that you would like it packaged in supply containers. They'll add an extra dollar to your bill for the service. Um, and then you'll be able to enjoy, enjoy your waste-free meal. Um, following that, you have a week to rinse and return your container to some of the best coffee shops all across Toronto. So let's say I order something, though, and they don't use supply packaging. How can I get ensure that you are in that that uh, restaurant? Yeah, we, we definitely encourage customers and, and anybody to message your restaurants and let them know that this service exists. Um, we're kind of the first to be doing it. And so a lot of restaurants have no idea that we're in existence. Um, we do have a templated message that you can send to restaurants. It can be found on our social and on our website which is at my supply. Now that $1 is, that's not a deposit, right? That's just to be able to have these reusable containers. Correct. Yeah. You can think of it as just a service fee. Okay. Now, so I'm done with my container. Then what do I do? Yeah. So you take it to one of our many drop-off locations. Um, So there are a bunch of them scattered across East Toronto now and will be all of Toronto, but we've intentionally chosen some pretty delicious coffee shops and packaged free grocery stores. So it makes for a pretty enjoyable experience. So what's next then for supply as you begin to grow? So I think, you know, the, the plan has always been to get the, the process and the model right so that it's, you know, enjoyable for both customers and for restaurants and then scale it. So we're planning to move to the West End scale to the West End in uh, late 2021, and then really kind of be across the GTA and be looking at other cities to expand into uh, beyond that, which is really, really exciting for us. And what's the feedback been from your customers? Amazing. I mean, our, our customers are 
literally the best customers out there and our partner restaurants, honestly. Um, they've helped us design this kind of very, very much from a grassroots level. Um, and we've taken all of their feedback and some of the pivots and changes we've made are a direct result of emails and comments we've had from, from both restaurants and from consumers. So I have to ask, do you lose containers? You know, we've been pretty lucky so far. Those that are, are signed up believe in the cause and they understand that if the container doesn't come back, it's obviously defeating the purpose. So we've had a very low, uh, what I would call shrinkage or loss rate, um, which always surprises people when I quote some of the numbers. But uh, no, we've been really encouraged with that. And we'll continue to kind of build upon our process uh, to make sure that we're making it as easy as possible for people to return containers. All right. Incredible. I want people to be able to find you. I want them to be able to demand that supply is in their local restaurants. So where do they go? Yeah. So they can find us on social at my supply, which is with an I, um, or our website is mysupply.ca. All right. Thank you to Megan and Juliana from Supply for joining me today. And thank you to our sponsor, RBC. RBC is here to support you through digital first solutions, advice and services that go beyond banking to help realize your true potential. Because owning a small business takes something special. That's why RBC is behind you every step of the way. Visit rbc.com backslash business. I try to defend you. It's hard not to offend you, but you're not my detention. You don't see what I do. Can you kiss me more? Where's so young boy? We ain't got nothing to lose. Oh, it's just Joining me now with Saturday Night at the Movies is the exhausted Anne Brody, who has just been nonstop going with Tiff. Welcome to the show, Anne. Oh, gee, thank you. <laughs> I'm, so I'm, I'm happy to hear you're awake and alive. I mean, I know you're literally going around the clock right now. Not for long. I'm taking tonight off. I, I'm going to watch Coronation Street, catch up and go to bed. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, let's just get right into it because there's yeah. a lot. Uh, can we talk about the power of the dog? Because that trailer. Wow. This is 1925 Wild West. Benedict Cumberbatch is a is a farmer, a cowboy. His brother, Jesse Plemons, is, is a gentleman and very sensitive and lovely. Uh, Cumberbatch's Phil is a viper, an absolute viper. He is rotten to the core. He insults everybody. He takes pleasure in humiliating people. So Jesse goes off and brings back a bride, Kristen Dunst, who Jesse is married to in real life, and her son. Now, her son appears frail, so immediately Phil starts to pick on him. But things take a really complicated twist, and the son decides to fight back. Uh, Honestly, it just chills me thinking about it. Benedict Cumberbatch is so terrific as this bad, bad person, this bad to the bone guy. Well, it's funny um, because you just you just had a, a Benedict Cumberbatch on the show last week in a movie uh, where he could play a completely different character. So this is almost like uh, totally different ranges for him in these right. two roles that we've yeah. been talking about. Yeah, and I think in a way he's aiming for awards because <laughs> this was just so thorough. He was so deep into this character, just incredible. Well, he he deserves them because man, he has some serious range. Yeah, yeah, and this uh, power of the dog. Look up power of the dog Bible, and you'll get some more insight into it. And it's from right. Jane Campion, the Australian filmmaker, and she's got a real mean streak in her, so it really comes out in this. <laughs> All right. Well, tell me about Scarborough then. Oh, that is a gem. It's set in Scarborough, which is an east end of Toronto um, area that's sort of low, low income um, and widely diverse uh, citizenry. Anyway, it focuses on three families and their problems. There's a First Nations family, uh, an Asian family and um, a black family. There's also all, uh, incredible side characters, unforgettable. The, the writing is just out of this world. Um, so it just takes these people through uh, traumatic events. And the, the center point is the children's uh, breakfast um, 
sort of hangout place that they go to. It's it's set up by the city. They get food, they get encouragement, they get uh, access to social services if they need them. And these families really need them. I mean, it sounds downbeat. It is incredibly positive and uplifting and wonderful. It just renews your faith in people. So it's it's going to be a hit. I just know it. Well, I, I think we have to move on to Snakehead because you sent me your notes and oh. uh, your notes says Snakehead hyphen. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that right. must be Can a good I tell one. You what it's about. You're not going to think it's going to be any good. OK, it's this woman, this elderly Chinese woman who runs a human trafficking cartel in Chinatown, New York. The younger girl is. um a recent immigrant, illegal immigrant to the States who's just been sprung from eight years in jail, right? Doesn't sound good. Oh my word. These two women literally have the power of all Chinatown in their hands and they they rest this power. They, they didn't inherit it. They grabbed it. They are such smart women, such, um, they'll do anything to get what they need. And I mean, anything. The It's action. It's an action picture focused on two women protagonists just out of this world. I mean, it's strong stuff, but wow, I think you'll okay, like I don't, it. I don't want to, we're running out of time. And I honestly, I want to get to this one because I am so oh. excited for the morning show. <laughs> Season two, right around the corner. Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, back at it. Jennifer, we left her out on the farm in Maine. Uh, uh, Bradley is still negotiating or uh, uh, what's the word I want? Pushing for the evening news. She's just relentless in her pushing, but that is almost the smaller stuff. Mitch has run away to Italy. The woman that he sexually harassed allegedly has killed herself. And um, so I don't really want to give a lot away, but I will say that Dan comes across this news item about a virus in Wuhan, China, and they go, yeah, yeah, no, I think we'll do this like dog contest or something. So <laughs> he's dogged. He carries on with it. They send him off to Wuhan. Someone comes out to see Alex to bring her back to the show. And a woman comes along to interview Bradley and her life changes. It's just astonishing. And that's all I can tell you. It, it, it's just. Well, it's, I, I am not I am not uh, um, emphasizing this enough, I'm sure. But I the first season of The Morning Show is one of the, the best series I have ever watched in my life. And so I am so excited for season two because the, the acting oh. in this is just exceptional. So if, if, if anybody's listening and you haven't watched it, get season one now and then yeah. go watch season two. Uh, and you've got all of this and more on the website, of course, where to find these movies and shows uh, also listed. So that's on what she said, talk.com. You're going to be back, back next week and I hope rested. Oh, I hope so, too. <laughs> Thank you, Candace. I'm <laughs> doing my bit. <laughs> Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Money is the longest relationship we will ever have in our lives, from birth to death, and like all good relationships, the ones that flourish are nurtured. Zena Amundsen is the founder of Astra Financial Services and author and podcast host of The Heart of Your Money. Zena believes that there are three key aspects to ensuring a positive relationship with money in your life and joins me now to share. Welcome to the show, Zena. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, our relationship with money, it's complex, isn't it? It is. It's uh, it's wrapped up in a whole bunch of different emotions, and we're all going to have a different story around that. 
Um, and, it, and it can be one, generally it's one of two things, scarcity or abundance. And these relationships we have with money, they're really sort of developed in our younger years, aren't they? As we watch, you know, the people around us and how they manage th- their money. Yeah, you know, there's a history and, and we talk about our ancestry and where we're from, where there's a whole uh, whack of history there around our money and how our parents and how our family and even just even down to the wording and, and you know, like those key phrases like, well, money doesn't hang from trees and um, it's just not going to fall from the sky. And so when you hear those things growing up, they're going to stick with you. Oh, absolutely. My dad's favorite expression was money doesn't grow on trees. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't have I don't have a money tree in the backyard. That was my father's favorite expression of uh, growing up. Um, so let's talk about those three aspects then that you think everybody should sort of master. What's the first one? Yeah, is, is the first one we have to, to let ourselves know, and it's okay, money does matter. You know, we're, we're full, of, we're Canadians, we're shy, we, you know, the things at the supper table that we didn't talk about growing up was sex, religion, and money. Well, now we're talking about sex, we're talking about religion, we're still not talking about money. And so we need to know that money matters. But it might not be for the reason you think. It's not power, but it's it's everyone's going to have a different answer. And it's not necessarily the dollar and cents in the bank, but it's about what that money represents. It's about feeling empowered and, and finding out the truth about why it's important to us. Right. And it's what that money allows you to do with your life. I mean, if you have, you know, I guess, you know, let's say $60,000 a year you make and you're content and happy, then that's, you have a great relationship at that level, right? But for somebody else, that may not be enough. Exactly. And, you know, I I learned this the hard way. Uh, My husband had left. I was a stay-at-home mom with two babies. I didn't finish university. So my story is a a hard knocks one. Um, And so was mine growing up. And what I learned was that um, in the beginning, my currency of why money was important was just about putting food on the table, like literally paying the bills and, and feeding the kids. But then it's evolved into something else. You know, obviously I've, I've grown, I've written a book, I've started a financial planning firm, I'm doing okay here. Um, but it's now evolved into a currency becoming of independence and freedom. And so this is that evolution when, it, when you started off and you said it's the longest relationship we'll ever have. Well, it's fluid and it's going to change. And so it's really important to know why money is important to us and then continue that asking because it's going to change in different parts of our life. So we, we know that it matters now. So what's the second component then? Yeah, this one is that our motivation matters, finding out what is important and why and digging deep. And this is about that soul's purpose. Um, mine, you know, once I picked myself up off the floor and, and I could feed everybody and, and, you know, felt, uh, uh, pretty good and a little bit abundant, then it's about, okay. So now my why and my motivation is why we're talking today. This is about a revolution. This is about helping women reach their economic potential. And so that is my drive and we're all going to have it. And so if knowing what your, you know, your passion and, and your soul's purpose is, and then putting your money to work for that, that's the motivation. That's what's going to get us to the finish line. Absolutely. We talk about money a lot on this show because I want this to be normalized. I want to be able to just have these conversations openly without any shame uh, attached to it and to empower women to move forth. Uh, what is the third uh, factor then that everybody should really work on? Ah, this is you and me talking right now. This is about building that tribe. You know, hundreds of thousands of years, we've lived in close-knit circles. Look at our history, our ancestors. They've lived and worked side by side, protecting one another. Well, why would we want to do this alone? We're wired for collaboration and even more so as women, right? We've got, you know, we we talk about men will come and go, but our girlfriends will always be there. And I'm trying to teach my daughters that and they're learning, but um, quality versus quantity. And if we can surround ourselves with the people that support us, they motivate us, they make us better. um, And then we get clear and, and finding that safe zone where we're not talking about digging up skeletons out of the closet, uh, our money skeletons. And I'm not going to share, you know, like, oh, I make this much and you make that much. No, it's about how are you? Are you on track? Right. What's your what's your why? What's your short term goal? And, and how are you feeling about that? 
We are the five people we surround ourselves with. So this is about tribe. That third and last important piece is um, finding, finding your support circle. And that can be books, that can be podcasts and radio, just like you're doing, that, that can be reading articles. It's, it's surrounding yourself with everything around there. You know, it's, uh, it gives you the motivation and feeds us. Absolutely. Your, your network is your net worth. So I want yeah. people to be able to connect with you and find out more. So where can they go? Yeah, you can find me. Uh, our firm is Astra Financial. So you can go to astrafinancial.ca. There's the book, The Heart of Your Money, and that's on Amazon. Uh, you name it, UK, US, Canada. And then I've also got a podcast, The Heart of Your Money. And these are short, quick, you know, talking 10, 15 minutes, uh, really getting getting to the nitty gritty and giving you some really good advice. Uh, and we're sharing behind the scenes things that people are talking about with money. So like, how is your financial advisor compensated? Like behind the curtain things, you can find me there. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Zena. Thanks for having me. Dunia is the animated story of a little girl and her grandparents who have to leave in search of a new home when war breaks out in their country. With sensitivity and poetry without ignoring the dark moments, the Dunia series tells the story of a migration from a child's perspective while exploring the themes of identity, resilience, and the dialogue of cultures. Maria Zaref was born and raised in Aleppo, Syria, and is the creator, writer, designer, and co-director of Dunia that is now airing on CBC Gem, and joins me now to share more about this award-winning animated series. Welcome to the show, Maria. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So with the heartbreaking situation that's unfolding in Afghanistan and Canada expected to welcome thousands of Afghan refugees as a direct result, many of those who are children, uh, like the little girl in the series, Dunia is particularly timely right now. Is this series based on any of your own personal experiences emigrating to Canada? Uh, not at all. It is uh, actually my experience of immigration was a very light one. It was the experience of immigration of someone who is going abroad to make his to study, you know. So I didn't live it like it is in Dunya in the series. But I heard about the stories of lots of refugees and of people that I know that have been uprooted this way. So this is kind of the story of my people, the stories I've been hearing for 10 years since the beginning of war, and that I try to embody in the story of the little dunya it's not really where it is my story it is my story in the way that i have seen my childhood city crumble that i have seen my country go from a place of bliss to rumbles and i have seen with a lot of heartbreak everything happening in syria and i had to leave things behind and i had to reinvent my identity me too in that sense, it is also my story. Was there a moment, you know, that that you know, sort of pushed you to start animating this series and and writing out a script? Was there something that pushed you towards this that you felt I have to do this? Well, it happened slowly at the beginning of the war in Syria, ten years, eleven years ago. I was working. I always worked as a, a designer, creator, and a writer for children content. But I was receiving the images of what was happening in Syria, of the war casualties, of the victims of the war, of children, of everything. And at the same time, happened an event happened when the little picture of the little boy, Alan. Uh, left on the seashore after uh, after trying to cross the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, made, you know, was shown everywhere in the world. And that picture was very capital to me because I felt at this moment that this is not the image that children of the war should have about themselves. This is not the representative image of this whole generation that is called the lost generation that they should have about themselves to overcome the trauma and to tell a different story and to be a part of the world. And this happened at the same time with Canada. 
welcoming Syrian refugees at the same time. So with my producers, we had this talk about the necessity to tell this story in my way, in my drawings, in my designs, and to imagine the story about migration. And this is where I came with Dunya, the little character that led everything after her. Then. And why the name Dunya? Dunya in Arabic is a, is a name that we call little girls by. And uh, in Arabic, it means the world. It means uh, the world. Sometimes it means life on earth. It was very important to me that this little girl was so much alive and so much in love with life and so much part of the world and that she have may she may have lost her country her home she may have lost different important parts of her but that she was able and she had everything in her to become part of the world and to tell her story to the world so this is why i called her dunya and i felt also that there's something very universal in this sound, dunya, that there, there's something open, there's something joyful. And that was very important for me when creating this, this character. This is a really heavy topic. Um, so why, why address it with children? Why is that so important to open this conversation with, with young children? That's a very good question. This is a question I think... Every storyteller asks, every time we try to create content for kids, we ask ourselves. Uh, to be very honest, I, I created Dunya not for children. When I was creating her, when I was writing her, it was for myself mainly. It was a self-healing process. At the same time, I believe I'm, 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 the one, I'm a creator who believes that we can address anything with children as long as it's made with respect and tenderness so this is what i tried to do and i think it's capital in a way in a philosophical way it's very important to have no taboo in our conversations with children to say the things to show them with compassion and with a kind of tenderness that will heal us and heal the children children can take it if we know how we talk about it, if we know how to raise the issues, they can take it because they feel it anyways. There's this part in Dunya where she says, grandma, she, she asks her teta, who, 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 teta is a name in Arabic for grandma. She says, what happened to daddy? And the grandma says, he will be back soon. No, no, no. And then there are the two characters who say, no, she's lying. She's telling, she's saying that to, to make her sleep and no, no, no. And the other character says, children know everything. They feel it. They sense it. So she will know sooner or later. And this is very important. I think children are very, very sensitive and they sense everything and they sense the catastrophes. They sense the fear, the collective fears, the collective issues. And if we don't address it, they will make uh, uh, monsters inside themselves out of it. We have to give them the tool to address it. All right. If people want to catch Dunia then and maybe share it with their children and watch it themselves, where can they do that? They can watch it on CBC Jam. So they have the web series on CBC Gem. They can catch up the news of Dunya on the Instagram, uh, Dunya TV web, and on the uh, Facebook page of Dunya, uh, they can find it. Uh, I can give you the address of the Facebook page of Dunya, uh, which is uh, Dunya, uh, Dunya, dot film tv web facebook slash dunia dot film tv web so they'll have all the news around dunia and uh, just to say we are in uh, preparation for a season two for dunia and a long movie for the theaters uh, a, a long uh, feature that i'm working on for uh, next year 2022 all right incredible thank you so much for joining me today maria Thank you for having me. Have a good one. Thank you so much. Have a story for what she said? Email us at 1059theregion.com. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
female health is a gray area in medicine that can lead to poor outcomes. But if you understood your hormones from a genetic lens, it becomes very black and white. Areas as complex as fertility, menopause, PMS, and breast cancer, or lifestyle issues like weight management, personalized diet, energy, and sleep all become easy to navigate. The DNA company has developed a functional approach to genomic interpretation overlaying environment, nutrition, and lifestyle on the genetic blueprint to create personalized and deterministic health outcomes. I'm joined now by CEO of the DNA company, Kashif Khan, and company spokesperson, Monica Schneer, to discuss. Welcome to What She Said, Kashif and Monica. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. This science blows my mind. I always feel like little me back in elementary school would never have believed we'd be here with this science. It's it's incredible. So, Kashi, how does this process work for somebody who wants to uh, to have uh, their results back from the DNA company? Well, if you go back to high school days, it was out of touch. It existed, but it was a million dollars, right? And that's what's happened is technology has made it more available. And it's simple. You, you spit in a saliva tube. It gets sent to a lab to analyze. We work with McGill University in Quebec. Uh, Genome Quebec is actually a government body. And then the results get put through our uh, AI machine, which then populates the reports and you discover what, how you're wired. So it's easy. It's as easy as you send the test to the home. They, they spit in a tube, send it back, and they get the results. Exactly. Uh, okay, perfect. So, Monica, mm-hmm. when you did this test, were you surprised by the results? I was so shocked. I thought uh, for sure I was eating the right way. I was exercising the right way and all of it was wrong. And I should have been, I should have been clued in because my body was reacting in a way that told me things were not going well. You know, I was losing my hair. I was gaining weight. I can't sleep. All of these things I just attributed to getting to hitting menopause. But what I found out was I couldn't metabolize saturated fat. I was running every day and I can't expel the oxidants that we create when we, and Kashif can speak to this in a more scientific way, but when we exercise in a certain way, we also have to expel the oxidation and I couldn't do that. And so it was really uh, frustrating. And, but now it's enlightened me to exercise a different way. I'm hiking and walking and eating a different diet. And I just feel a hundred percent better. And I hope I didn't do any irreparable harm. Right. Then that must be one of the things that you think about when this test comes in. Uh, Kashiva, so there are 300 markers. Is that correct? So there's 22,000 genes in your body. There's 300 that we look at that we think are actionable, meaning that you can actually do something about. You know, there's always that anxiety of, well, why? I don't want to know if I got 80% chance of Alzheimer's, right? Well, that level of information truly is invaluable. It should be, here's what you can do to prevent Alzheimer's. Or here's, if you do this, you're getting it. It should be that certain, and then people can adopt. So we brought it down to those level of insights. But more importantly, we've understood what are the choices that people made that if you say 80% chance risk, that means 20% didn't get it. So what were they doing right? We also documented those things so we can coach people through. Here's the practices to adopt so you don't get sick. That's the whole point. And this is not one size fits all, right? Like a diet, a certain type of diet or lifestyle diet might work for one person, but not another based on their DNA. Is that correct? Or am I making, that's oversimplifying That's exactly it? the point. Like look, look at what Monica went through where how typical is it that when you have a list of unexplained symptoms at that age, it's menopause, right? Because you put it into this confusion bucket of you're supposed to, taken for granted, you're a woman, you're supposed to have hormone problems. Unfortunately, that's the way medicine is practiced. But meanwhile, we got to the root cause of these things and nothing had to do with medicine. It was all this you know, diaspora of different things that all seem, seem to happen at that age because it takes that many years of doing the wrong thing before your body can't handle the load anymore. This is why 50% of Americans have a chronic disease by 50 on average and two by 60, because it takes that long of mismatched environment, food, wrong exercise before it turns into cancer or heart disease or Alzheimer's or whatever it may be. So Monica, when you received your test results, I mean, was it hard to interpret or was it really easy to understand what your next steps were going to be now? Well, thankfully, the the DNA company has coaching. So after you get your test, you're not just uh, flailing in the wind. They will explain to you how you should be eating, why you're not sleeping well, um, how you should be exercising. And everything was explained to me in a very um, 
succinct way. And, um, and uh, it was surprising. I was really, I was also really sad, like I, that I maybe had done this harm to my body. And I was on all of a sudden the last three years, blood pressure medication. And, um, but now I see this light at the end of the tunnel and that I can sort of reverse some of the, hopefully some of the damage that I did. I think there's probably a lot of people listening to this who are keenly interested now to get their own DNA tested and know more about their, because it's really personalized um, interpretation, is it not? It's truly, that's the whole point of, imagine, what is your DNA? It's literally your human instruction manual. It's a set of code that's telling all your cells what to do all the time. So when you buy a microwave, you get an instruction manual. Meanwhile, this complex machine that we operate every day, we don't know how it works. So that's literally what we've done is we decoded it so that you as an individual, you're not like me and like Monica. You need that personalized level. What is my body doing? What do I need to eat? How do I need to exercise? What risk of disease do I have and why? So yes, the insights, although there's some buckets that people fit in, for the most part, it's unique. It's that elusive handbook we've all been looking for yeah. uh, that we all talk about. And, and it's here now. It's incredible. So I want people to be able to find out uh, more about the DNA company and how to get this test. So where can they go? Uh, the DNA company.com. That's our website. Um, and if you want to see sample reports to understand what the outcome output is, uh, I think there's an ability for you to like enter your email address and they'll actually send you sample reports. You can see them. Uh, you just go there. DNA, the DNA company.com. There's literally two products on the site. There's the test, and then there's an executive coaching program, which is not what we're talking about today. Uh, and beyond that, once you have the test, because we've understood uniquely what's going on, we also curate solutions for you, meaning do you need supplementation? Do you need an app that helps you meditate? Do you need a certain type of clinician that can help you with a problem? Those things start to unveil themselves after you've done the test. Okay, incredible. And Monica, people are want to know where to follow you on social media because I'm sure you're talking about the DNA company I there. Uh, where can they connect with you? I'm on Instagram, just my my name Monica Schneer, and Facebook, and um, and oh now TikTok. Yay! <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. We'll have you back again soon. I'm just I am obsessed with the science behind this. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.